welcome to the NDA podcast. We're here to challenge topics the industry has been keeping under waiver for years. Unfiltered conversation with no fear of being cancelled. Bringing creatives of different levels, different backgrounds and very different opinions together. Debating the issues we only dare discuss over our Twitter DMs. So get ready for some honesty because we're about to break all the NDAs. So welcome back to NDA, everybody. Thank you for all the love on the last few weeks episodes. Uh, It's been great hearing so much good stuff on socials. Uh, Make sure you subscribe. I'm going to put that up front today rather than hiding it at the back end of the episode. So this week, the ND and NDA actually stands for neurodiversity. Had so many people reaching out asking us to discuss this topic, what it's like to be creative or be in the industry while being neurodiverse or neurodivergent. I'm going to be doing some learning today. It's not a topic that I know loads about. Can't wait to hear from my lovely guests, very qualified. They're going to share their experiences, talk about how their neurodiversity impacts their creativity or things like being part of a team explain some of the language and the terminology, which I think will be super helpful for us all. They've also shared some advice on how I can best facilitate today's discussion. Fingers crossed I do a good job of that. Um, In fact, a couple of them have said good luck. So let's hear who's joining us. Um, Anna, if you just quickly introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. I'm Anna Jacks and my pronouns are she, her, and I'm a freelance illustrator who's currently based in Bristol. Um, I guess I'm going to talk about how freelance has benefited me, but also how it's been quite hard at the same time. So. Cool. Brill. Daniel, how about you? Hi, I'm, I'm, my name's Daniel Edwards. I'm a, my pronouns are he, him. I'm founder of a, a company called Bloody Lovely Branding Co. And um, we're, we're striving to be the, the only, uh, begrudgingly so, the only neurodivergent branding agency. Uh, so we're based in the Midlands. Perfect. Lucy? Hi, I'm, I'm Lucy Hobbs. I'm autistic and ADHD. I, I, I'm the founder of The Futures ND, which is a neurodiverse network for the creative and tech industries, um, which I organise events for. And from doing that, I also do um, consultants, neurodiversity consultancy work in organisations where I help with um, HR, HR policies, ND at work guides. I write content and stuff like that for that. And I'm also a freelance creative director, so I do lots of different things, which it's, it's very ADHD, actually. And today I can talk about anything, <laughs> but you're probably going to have to ask me to stop talking because I, I can talk a lot. So <laughs> thank you for inviting me on today. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Oh, no worries at all. So glad to have you. Um, and certainly not last, but certainly not least, Ali, how about you? Hi, I'm Ali. My pronouns are she, her. Um, so I'm currently a design director for global branding packaging agency, Chase Design Group. But I've also spent quite a large proportion of my career in design as freelance as well. So I sort of, I guess I'm looking at it from both sides of, of that and how the pros and cons work with that really. So, yeah. Awesome. 
Uh, I'm Katie Cadwell. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm here to listen, ask questions, got some really interesting stories and insights from the DMs. So I'll be reading those out as well today. So I think it makes sense to kick off with a little bit of context. So Lucy, as our kind of resident expert. Completely accidental expert, but but people say I am, so I, I will do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that title too today. Um I wonder if we could just start with terminology that, that there are a few different phrases around neurodiversity so how do you like to be described how do they how do they differ uh, yeah it's a difficult one because people like to put even though we talk about not putting people in boxes that you know there's so many overlaps it's, it's actually the exception rather than norm to be diagnosed with one thing um, like myself I was diagnosed with ADHD like 15 years ago and I found out I was autistic like two years ago um, so, you know, people tend to call themselves, they can call themselves neurodivergent or neurodiverse. Neurodivergent is more grammatically correct, but some people prefer the term neurodiverse because they feel uncomfortable with the word neurodivergent. But that there's a lot of arguments about this as well. But, but what's wrong with just saying I'm ADHD or I'm autistic? Some people might say I have ADHD, but there's also the first person language where people would prefer to say I am autistic rather than I have autism because when you say I have something it feels like it's something that isn't part of you and you want to sort of like get rid of or um, eradicate so um, it's really up to the individual um, and there's a lot of discussions on it and I think it's it, it's still evolving yeah. yeah and if someone isn't if someone isn't neurodivergent how would you refer to that person or a group of people that aren't so it's difficult because we could say neurotypical but there is actually no such thing as neurotypical and the thing is with the word neurodiversity the reason yeah, that, that, that that word was what it's meant to mean is meant to mean that everybody has a different brain so if everyone has a different brain then no one is neurodivergent and no one is neurotypical we all are very different you see what i mean so it's it's a kind of a contradiction in terms it's very difficult as well when i'm writing sort of work guides and talking about language to to make it all make sense in a way so oh that's so i think that's really interesting and i think that there's probably a little bit of reticence for people that don't have much knowledge in mislabeling or offending by introducing someone as adhd so it's good to know that that impetus kind of needs to come from the person themselves but I'm just wondering, do we have any statistics of like, I mean, it's pretty broad brush and I know research is patchy in the creative industries at best, but statistics on how many people are neurodiverse in the creative industry or what that what that looks like? Yeah, so I've got some. So in the general population, it's thought that one in seven of us are neurodivergent in some way, um, which is conditions like, you know, ADHD, autism, dyspraxia, dyslexia, kind of specific um, learning differences um, but in the so in the creative industry I did find out a stat from creative equals actually a quality standard they said that creative data science and account management departments as well as senior leadership are 20 to 30 percent neurodivergent so it does tend to index high in the creative and tech industries and also I worked on a BEMA report for diversity in tech and that showed that it indexed high as well. So I think it's it's definitely an industry that neurodivergent people get drawn to. You know, uh, dyslexic, lots of dyslexic designers who are very visual, you know, tech, autistic people, uh, you know, ADHD people, lots of ideas, big ideas. I, I know lots of creative directors that are probably ADHD, but they don't even know it themselves. You know, it's um, so, yeah, there's a lot of people in the creative industry and we can go on and obviously talk about how, difficult the creative industry can be work to work in anyway and then if you have a disability a hidden disability it can be really difficult 
I'm really excited to hear a little bit about everyone's sort of individual experience. So if we kick off, Anna, I'm going to put you on the spot, please, if you don't mind. I just want to hear your story, hear your background, hear about your neurodiversity and maybe some of the some of the kind of challenges that you've that you've faced. Yeah, sure. I also, well, I am ADHD. I've never heard that before. So that's really interesting. I've normally always said I have. I'll start saying that now. But um, yeah, and I got diagnosed in... 2020 but I started freelancing um, when I graduated in 2015 I it was the first time I'd had a life without structure so obviously I'd always been in higher education or um, hospitality work or retail work where I was told exactly what I needed to do and I think as soon as I went into a studio uh, having to sort out my own routine and schedule I just completely had no idea what to do um and my planner like everyone would always be like just get a planner and you'll be able to figure out what you need to do and prioritize and I would almost have a list of things that would be like write an email um get sketches done go to the post office and I'd open it and not be able to prioritize a single thing and if anything it made it harder to actually do anything at all So I think after a year of doing that and not being able to do anything very well, I I looked into autism first um, because I found communicating really difficult as well. Eventually got diagnosed in 2020, but started looking at it in 2019. And it took an entire year to even go through the diagnosis process because it was so overwhelming and ginormous. Since getting the diagnosis, it's definitely helped a lot more because I know when to strip things back if I'm doing too much because I tire myself out really, really quickly. Um, Whereas before, I just saw it as like, I need to do as many things as possible, otherwise I won't succeed, Um, which eventually just turned into a lot of burnout. And obviously, if you're freelancing, you can't produce anything or produce anything well if you're mentally exhausted. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Um, so I think we'll just maybe jump to a slightly opposite experience almost. I'm not saying that you can't relate to any of that, Ali, but you are in a studio at the moment and you've in your career kind of dipped in and out of studios and in and out of freelancing. So can you just um, give us a bit of background to to that path? Yeah, sure. So, um, so much of what um, Anna's just said, I could resonate with um, massively, actually. Um, and I think it's that self-discovery element of how like like Anna said like when you come out you know you have this very structured like education system and then when we get out of that um but even to be honest at university where you know you're very much in control of your sort of workload and yeah you have your deadlines but you know you still have to sort of (laughs) you know you have to manage that to a, a point and I think started to become really apparent to me that I was a bit faulty when it came to how I approached like procrastination, then crunch time, like deadline working. And, um, but because I would, I guess I'm classed as like high functioning, it went completely under the radar because I, you know, I could always pull it round. And so then it just became about me masking how I was working in, like when I was in studio roles, like full-time roles, I would, you know, get good at masking how, when I was procrastinating and when I was generally, it would go unnoticed because, or that they didn't really mind because I was always really good at delivering at the end. So 
you know and i guess that's i think that's partly why a lot of neurodivergent people thrive in creative industries is because there's that it there is that flexibility in a lot of ways in how how you know everyone has to takes different approaches there's no one way to attack uh, a brief or solve a problem or you know anything like that and i think that's probably why so many of us have found our way yeah so i'm just going to jump to you daniel and you work for yourself obviously but just be interesting to hear how you got there and how you kind of sussed out that that was the best the best environment for you to to work in yeah, so my um, my diagnosis was quite early, like not well, quite recent, May May of this year, um, and prior to that, I had no knowledge, so I didn't even know ADHD was a lifelong condition. Didn't realise all my friends had ADHD. <laughs> like we seem to mag- we're like magnets, so you're <laughs> like, oh yeah, I've got this, and then you feel alone and isolated, and then everyone's like, oh yeah, me too. Um, but I just found out really, really late, so. Um, <laughs> In, I started the business in 2020, just before pandemic, like perfectly timed. Um, but the main reason for doing that was because I was done with 10 years of working in sort of medium-sized enterprises, um, try, like focusing on brand, even though I wasn't supposed to be, that was always the passion. Uh, and I just, I hated the bureaucracy. I hated the process. I hated most of the people I worked with, if I'm honest, because uh, I was just so different and I was treated that way. I was, I knew I was different. And I've always celebrated that. Um, and that's always been me. Um, but it's always like jarred and grated with most other people, specifically people in sales. Uh, no offense. Uh, and yeah, so I, I, I started in, in, I started the business in 2020, again, completely unaware. And I thought, right, that's it. If all these people can run a business, I certainly can. So I, I quit. And then I, um, I quickly realized that although I got rid of all the bureaucracy and all like, the frustrations and I could structure my time and start work at 10 and, you know, be lazy. Um, I actually then found that there were some consistencies that I haven't been able to kick for 10 years. What I would later find out was I haven't been able to kick my entire life. And it was really the space that working at my own pace and to my own structure allowed me to realize these symptoms. And the irony was that I, I was looking for um, productivity hacks because, you know, I was like, I'll use the term neurotypical just for like clarity on this. But I, I was like, all right, I, I can't focus. I can't seem to manage tasks. It's because I've got so many things on and blah, blah, blah. And then I found someone on LinkedIn, Jack, who was doing a, uh, a video sort of diary for five days on on ADHD and the challenges and some of his hacks and how he deals with it. And I was like, what a place to get some productivity hacks from someone who like literally struggles with these things every day uh, and like me and then by the like day five i was like oh <laughs> so october like 21 i was like i have adhd um and then but there was this really weird thing where i i, I didn't feel like i could accept that even though i knew it deep down i couldn't accept that until i had diagnosis and i thought diagnosis would be this big like revelation there'd be tears and you know oh, i'm free and actually it was like you have ADHD and it's like I know <laughs> like it's blatantly obvious now so the two things really that it, 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 it's given me is like the ability to a be compassionate towards myself for the first time in 32 years like I've been brutal with myself and then the second one is to be able to ask for help because I've always felt like 
everyone else is doing this. Like life is really hard, but it's hard for everyone. So at least this is equal. You know, some people have actually got it worse than me. And then to fight, and so it was really like quite shattering in a way. Um, and I'm still trying to pull back the pieces of like, what is me um, and what makes me me and what is like an age, just symptoms. You know, I'm trying to run a business and trying to grow, grow a business. And that passion is still there. Um, but I need to, I, I need, I've got to try and, you know, manage the, the, the personal life and the business, but they're so in, interlinked, like there's no separating them. I suspect, I think, especially with neurodivergence, there's like the reason that I'm doing the, 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 the niche that I'm in. So branding is because I think I've masked all my life and I'm just like very empathetic. I understand people's perspectives. So like, I love, it's just anthropomorphizing a business, right? So like we're, we're making a business seem more human. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just a, that path is, I'm, I'm losing it now. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to curl off what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much my story. So two years <laughs> in, I, I'm like, since May, I've, I've like, yeah, I had, had to start again and, and refocus. And that's really where I pivoted the business because I always wanted to just help people. Um, like that, that was the, the, again, before diagnosis, it was, I just want to help people who do good do more. Like it's as simple as that. Um, and now I understand why, because like, for me, if I'm not passionate about something, good luck getting me doing it. Like there's no chance. Um, so it, I have to, I have to love what I do and I have to feel impact. I want to pass on and help other people with the skills I've got. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. I could listen to you chat for ages. Oh, Samuel. I could talk so for a lot good. longer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to you, Lucy. Um, I think it would be impossible, honestly, because you've been kind of in this world for for a, a while um, to kind of sum up all of your experiences. But it would be cool, maybe, to try and pinpoint one of the main challenges that you've experienced um, and then maybe because I'm going to segue on to some slightly more optimistic uh, topics maybe one of the um, kind of one of the main approaches that you've seen or one of the main changes you've seen since you've been diagnosed sure so you want me to talk about one of the challenges in in, in the workplace as yes a, please so I, do you know what yeah. I didn't prepare this question but just let me think around this because just listening to everyone else there this is really interesting because as a freelancer myself I've I've, I've been working as a creative probably 20 plus years now actually like quite a few yeah quite a few years anyway but when I went for my ADHD diagnosis 15 years ago um the psychologist sort of said, said to me, do you know you found the perfect job, haven't you? You're, you're freelance, right? You work on short projects, having loads of ideas. You don't have to craft them, you know, because I was very conceptual coming up with ideas. Um, that's like the perfect job for someone with ADHD. I was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. But also freelancing is challenging because, you know, you um, – you have to like hit the ground running. You have to sort of like produce loads of work from day one and you have to keep going. Even if you burn out, you don't get sick pay, right? You know, and also try to get full-time work, go for interview. I'm just rubbish at the interview process. In the interview, I just go off on a tangent. I talk too fast. They probably think, who is this mad woman? You know, we don't want, you know, this is like, so, you know, I was always going in between like, trying to get a full-time job and then thinking no freelance is great let me do this but it was never there was never any um security so that was anxiety all the time um and I actually did do an event about this and it was about entrepreneurs and beyond the workplace and what I found out actually was just from researching talking to people that 
a lot of neurodivergent people aren't in full-time work. They have, they are contract and they ha or they have started their own businesses because they just cannot work in the workplace. And there's loads of challenges in the workplace. It's hard to think of one, but I think the biggest challenge is just fitting in to what's expected of you because there is this kind of cookie cookie cutter whatever person that people expect you to kind of be in the workplace and behave in a certain way that we just don't fit into so my biggest problem was open plan offices I think but also what's been interested interesting in you know after COVID and the lockdown is a lot of neurodivergent people really thrived when they worked from home because they could create their own environment they didn't have to put up with noise and like traveling on the tube and like busy you know and all that kind of stuff and I actually quite enjoyed it you know and it was quiet and I could I could get on with my work and I could and all the time when I was doing my freelance creative work having to go into agencies I was always like can I work from and it's like no you have to come in and we're going to do yeah. brainstorms brainstorms are the most painful thing ever I mean I don't mind them with <laughs> people that yeah. I know very well or just the, but it's just I can only bear it for about half an hour anyway being able to work to your own rhythms and everything is just really empowering, I think, for someone who's neurodivergent. I have the complete opposite experience of that um, in the pandemic, like oh, wow. in terms of as an, you know, and obviously, and it was actually what probably triggered me getting my diagnosis. So I was only diagnosed nine months ago with ADHD. And I think the pandemic played a huge role in that because what I found was, suddenly being put working at home let's take the fact that I was also trying to homeschool my children at the same time as doing a full-time job but it was the fact that without you know being in a studio where I had to mask like and you know hide my procrastination and you know the way my really like sort of unhealthy work sort of cycle of, of procrastinating and then crunch time working and then just doing that over and over again till I got burnt out. Um, it, I, I didn't need to mask it because I was at home. So, and then I had loads of other distractions around me. So I would, you know, be procrastinating, like doing like random DIY tasks that I didn't even need to do when I was struggling with a brief because that's how I, you know, <laughs> I, you know, oh, yeah, like, honestly, well. it got complete... <laughs> It got completely out of hand for me. And it was just like, I, I was just like, why can't I just sit at my desk and focus on the work? Like, why can't I just do that? And um, and that's where it all started really for me. So yeah, I found the pandemic really hard. Honestly, the DMs have completely reflected what you're saying, which is there is no one size fits all. So I've heard people saying, being from home is the dream. I can't believe I have to go in. Um, a lot of people saying that the music in studios is very, very distracting and they find people walking past and clients coming in and the kettle going on and the music being so loud, really difficult and feeling like they're in the minority and they, they don't want to speak up. Um, and other people kind of parroting what you're saying, Ali, that they need to be in the studio to quickly run, especially if you're kind of dyslexic, to run decks by people and not wanting to constantly hassle people online and the anxiety of not being able to like read someone's facial expression and reading messages. And um, so honestly, it just feels like the studios are and aren't working for everybody and our working practices kind of are and aren't working. So this is so interesting, but I'm just gonna jump to you, Anna. Because I feel like you've got a really different point of view in that 
you have an agent and I know you've had a, a couple of agents. So they provide like a kind of buffer, I guess, between you and the brief, you and the client. So can you chat about the two different experiences you've had? Yeah, sure. So even I mean, the first agent I signed with, I think, was in mid 2019, which was when I was just starting to realise I probably had ADHD. And before that point, I was doing everything with clients on my own. And I'd never felt like I'd struggled that much with it, but I think I had. Um, And I think often when I'd go into like university talks, I'd always stress about, there was like a really anecdotal story I'd always tell where right after new designers, I missed so many opportunities. Like um, there was a three book deal I missed and like working with Women's Wear Daily and lots of other things. And it's because they'd come into my inbox and I would be like, that's great. I've achieved a thing because they're there. And then I'd wait too long to reply. And then I would have missed the opportunity. And I thought that was a thing. Like when I'd say it and I'd look at people's faces, they'd all be a bit like, hey, why would you wait like a week or so to reply to that? With the agent, I think my main fear was them taking control of everything, which a lot of freelancers have anyway, um, because I thought I had it all together. And then even though me and my first agent weren't a great fit, um, the second that they did take over the entire admin side of everything, my brain capacity went from like 20% for drawing and creativity and just like went right up and I could focus way more on things. I wasn't constantly thinking of all of the emails I had to reply to all the negotiations or, uh, oh my God, I've only got a week to do this, but I need about five weeks, even though I know I can do it in a day if I just sit down and don't move the internet. So it was really nice to have all of that taken away. Um, But the issue I had with the first person I signed with was that I wasn't officially diagnosed and I didn't know what was what I was going through either and um, I think the idea of taking on multiple projects at once which you have to do really often as a freelancer anyway um, just immediately put my brain into like meltdown and I couldn't think of doing anything so it's really really hard and they would sort of be like but you're an illustrator this is what you need to do you need to like take multiple things at once and that's always going to happen you're going to have schedule crossovers So that was like a big difficulty I had. But now with the new one and I've got the diagnosis and I've spoken through what I struggle with, it's really, really nice to have them go, oh, Anna has difficulties with um, scheduling her time. Um, So if we could just create like an extra week just in case she needs it. But my agent is very aware that I don't need it and probably relays that to the client as well. But that's been really helpful and just it's been really nice as well also having somebody who when the brief gets forwarded if I read a sentence and misinterpret it which happens very often I have someone who can like call me and reassure me no it's this this and this you've just read it wrong and I've been like okay that's great thank you yeah it's just been it's it's been really helpful and I think that it's helped me um become a better illustrator in terms of drawing and ideas as well Neurodivergent people are getting more and more um, VAs or um, virtual assistants, just so that that is something that's available. Just wanted to mention that because that's fantastic because we are typically not very good at um, admin and all those kind of repetitive tasks and all the the things that require a lot of executive function. So I just wanted to to add that. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. 
No, all good. That's what I was that's what I was gonna ask, to be honest. I wanted to ask about positive things you've seen or like I know Daniel, for example, you're looking towards this future of building a studio that's super inclusive. Like what are the practical things that you think you could see or have seen that have really helped? I think just giving people space and and, and understanding, regardless of like how they think or what holds them back like intrinsically everyone offers value and i think once we get beyond this idea of disability and and um you know are you different to me it's like we all have our drawbacks and we're all good at certain things and we're all we all struggle and need support with others so that's that's been the the biggest like barrier i've seen is this this like blockade of thinking it's almost like oh well we're all normal and we can get on with our job and you're not and that's a liability and it's like well i worked with many people who are liabilities like it's it's not it's not there's no sort of like (laughs) line drawn with that um so what was the question again sorry if you're looking um i i kind of looking to to hear about examples um, or that you've seen the help, I guess. So that might be in a studio environment or so like, I think the virtual assistants are a really good one. Um, but yeah, examples of things that have helped you do your work. I like I, Ali, I know you've been in studios that have made that space for you and made yeah. changes. Yeah, very much so. And I think that's where things like access to work um, comes in. Like, And that's what getting an of, official diagnosis can facilitate so I was able to um I was open with my employers about my diagnosis and then as part because ADHD is recognized as a disability in the UK so that then opens the door to things like you're able to ask for what they call reasonable adjustments um that can make work it you know make being in a workplace um more accessible to me as someone with a disability and so that then meant i could ask for things like i mean we we already did this at chase anyway but like flexible working hours like um things like it sounds silly but things like not needing to take notes in meetings like or people like recapping you know accounts people like sending me a written recap like so because I will just forget like and I really struggle to take notes while I'm in a meeting because if I'm taking notes I'm not hearing the next thing that's being said so I never could really cope with that whole thing and then I'll forget and then I'll miss things and it's like so just things like that are really helpful and even just like just from like an anxiety point of view because obviously I think it's very much a comorbidity of um, like ADHD and autism things is that um, we're naturally we we sit with a lot of anxiety, main, probably because of our human experience all through our lives. Is that performance anxiety as well yeah. for the things that you say? Because we're worried yeah. that we're going to miss something if yeah. we've got auditory processing disorder yeah. and stuff like that. And just to add to that, you know, we these reasonable adjustments are yeah. required by law, yeah. so they have um, to consider the it. Act, yeah, so they have to consider yeah, have it to at least. This, yeah. And so you know, mm-hmm. and it's even just things like. Um, you know, so, like my boss will say, oh, c- um, oh, we can we have a just have a chat? Um, it would be like tomorrow at three o'clock. And then I'm literally for that whole day thinking I'm going to get fired or, you know, what I mean, you're catastrophizing. You're like, what have I done wrong? What am I going to get told off about? So I saw this really great thing from a ADHD and autistic um, sort of influencer. Her name's Ellie Middleton, but she 
this really, it's the smallest little things like this though, but it's like she's, her team will now say, oh, can we just have a quick chat about this tomorrow? Don't worry, it's nothing, it's it's nothing bad. Like just in brackets. You're not getting fired. Just a little thing like that is just, means mm. the world to people like us who have anxiety yeah. and we'll just like catastrophize. And I mean, it sounds really silly, but just little things like that make such no, a it difference. Doesn't. And you know, that just sums up the things that, you know, it's just being able to, you know, adapt. And and also it's that most reasonable adjustments that make will make neurodivergent people more comfortable in the workplace actually will benefit everyone. Like the flexible working hours, like um, having quiet breakout spaces, um, you know, like considering where you're citing people's desks, so not next to the kettle or next to where people are coming in and out of door. Like the, all these things, is, it would benefit everyone. So it's actually within everyone's yeah. interest to be more inclusive to neurodivergent brains, really. It also creates a level playing field for everybody. And as you say, you know, everybody should have access to these, whether they have a diagnosis or not, because even if you Having a diagnosis is a privilege. Even if you don't have a diagnosis, you might have executive functions issues. You might go for a diagnosis and get a diagnosis, but you just haven't got two years to wait and you just need some help right now. So, um, And also with access to work, you don't actually ha have to officially have a diagnosis. You can just explain your problem and then they will support you, yeah. It's really interesting to hear everyone talk about I don't want to use the word concessions, adjustments is much better, adjustments that they can make in the workplace. Daniel, starting a studio and then projecting to five years time when you've got 20 staff and glossy studios and absolutely killing it. What does that look like for you? What does your space look like? And as a boss, what would you be doing to make your employees feel super comfortable that you kind of wish that you'd had and seen? Yeah, so my, my experience comes from like not having any accommodations um, like made by myself or by employers, regardless of whether it was like blatantly obvious that I needed some support. There were things that um, some companies did, like gave me, like I would never turn up on time. Like I was late every morning um, and I think the there was flexibility there and I only now see the, the, the actual impact of that in terms of they weren't bothered that I would turn up late and it never became an issue and therefore it was never an issue for me. I think if someone had put pressure on, you need to be in at nine, you need to be in at nine, it would be, a, you know, it's a grind for an ND individual to get to work. Like you're exhausted by the time you get to work in some cases and then you've got to start your day. Um, so it, it, one thing I found is just, I'm I'm trying to I'm learning as I go. Like I'm I'm I think I wrote an article which was 32 years experience of something I know nothing about. So I I'm learning what I need, um, what's a mask, what I thought was my work ethic, and actually is just toxic, um, and that all of that links to like the burnouts that I have. So. I'm just bringing a learning mentality that I, regardless of my perspective and my now, uh, new understanding of myself, I don't know anyone else's. Every individual is is unique. Um, 
but the, the key thing I'm trying to do is, is, is safeguard and try to, um, I'm working with, with someone else called Hannah and she's, she's autistic ADHD and we're, we're learning how A, we interact as creatives together because we've burnt each other out. <laughs> like, so, uh, you know, in a month we'd, we, we knew everything about each other, like deep, uh, stories of personal troubles and joy and whatever else we know. I know so much about this person. And, you know, it's been, it's been now three, three months, but she's helped show me that I need to continue to learn and constantly look and ask. Like, it's, I think it comes back to culture, like being able to, Ali, you mentioned about the agency that you work at is, 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 is making adaptions for you. That, and that's amazing to hear that you're comfortable enough to be open because I had, I've had so many messages that are like, I, when I first found out, I posted and the, the, the post went viral and, and it was a bit overwhelming, to be honest. But I was getting loads and loads of messages. I responded to literally hundreds, every single one of them I responded to. And it was just such, such a pattern there of like, I can't speak about this um, and I wish I could bring this up. And I'm like, it's, it's a legal, legal obligation. It's like, yeah, but it don't work like that. And when you look at the stats on like tribunals, uh, tribunals that have gone to court on like reasonable adjustments being made like they're pretty much they're not very successful so there's no real like like even if like it's by law it's only good by law if you can actually win a court case on it and and i mean i might be wrong there but the ones that i've i've seen like there's just not much incentive to go through with it and we struggle with like organizing organizing ourselves and our lives like can you imagine organizing evidence for a court case like it's i getting into work is the is the probably the root of the cause so I, I just try to keep an open mind listen to listen um and, and we're trying to just roll things in now because there's no blueprint that's the crazy thing like everyone's looking for like their only especially in brand you know oh we're the only one that does this and I'm like really really annoyed that we can claim to be the only branding agency that is gonna like is employing and working with neurodivergent people because it's like why um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm just trying, we're, we're just trying everything that we can to make people feel heard. So like if you, I'm late to meetings constantly. So like the closer I get with someone, the better the relationship I have with someone, the, the, the less it seems the respect I have for them because I don't turn up on time, but it's not, it's just that you're no longer a risk to me. I feel comfortable around you. Therefore, you're not an impending doom. Like if it's a client, I'm there, I am prepped. I have decks, I have work done. Everything's delivered. Everything's on point. I know every single detail of every part of the project. I remember things that they've said from call number one, six months ago. But then when it comes to like, oh, can you pick up some milk on the way home? I'm like, no chance. <laughs> like, absolutely no chance. So it's just like accepting these things. Yeah. And I, like for me, I just wanted to add that quickly that um, there's so much shame attached to all of that. And I think that's such a big part of the problem. And it was really interesting. I was chatting to a friend this morning, actually, who is a design director at an agency in Prague. And we went to uni together and he sort of said to me, you know, do you think we'll ever get to a point where you would put your ADHD diagnosis on your CV and it would be seen as a positive thing? And I was like, I'd love to get to that point because actually I know there's been a lot of focus on the negative sides of being neurodivergent, but a lot of my best 
qualities and my favorite things about myself are because I'm ADHD, like the high empathy, the, you know, perfectionism, the, um, you know, oversharing. Um, but it, I think to a point that people will warm to me and will, you know, have, are comfortable sharing with me. And that creates a better work environment for everyone if people can talk more and be more open. And so, you know, there's lots of really positive things about it. And I just, I feel like yeah, the more we, the more we sort of like, you know, really crush those um, really archaic views of what ADHD is. Um, and about all the disorders and everything. It needs a rebrand, doesn't it? Because attention deficit is not the right word at all for what it is. No, this is exactly why I started up the Futures ND to, to, to get people to talk about it and to, so I've got a leaders event coming up in November because I want to get leaders talking about it to, to inspire people to to talk about it. And I've, I've noticed, you know, like Stan, as you were saying with your post about coming out um, about it, this a lot of people have been doing this recently and they've got a lot of engagement and a lot of people want to see that because they're hiding it. So the more people are open about it, the less toxic our culture will become because I I reckon that a lot of leaders have got something but they're not being open about it and it's it's affecting their work and it's affecting the way they treat their staff. So there needs to be so much work more. I mean, it's becoming more and more, um, you know, people are becoming more open. There's more um, awareness around it, but there's still a lot of work to be done. You're really upfront about your about your kind of diagnosis and obviously we're the Futures ND very proudly on your sleeve. Were, were you that open 15 years ago no. when you got diagnosed? How has it changed how you've talked about it? You must have witnessed great change about how people feel about it I've in got, that time. gone from one extreme to the other. So I used to, when I got diagnosed as ADHD, I used to go into freelance. I would never say anything about it. I would mask, I would try and hide. I would like just be really productive, do the work and in, in meetings be like, yeah, 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 say yes to everything and you know, never complain and everything. And then I um, got invited to speak. I told somebody in the industry that I was ADHD and they asked, invited me to speak at this conference, Diverse Minds Conference in 2018. And I was like, I sat there on a panel in front of all these people and it was going to probably be on social media what I said. And I talked very um, openly about my experience as a, as a creative with ADHD and then I just thought well there's no going back now so I, that's why I created the Futures ND because I was open about it. it's like and also at that conference I met a lot of people like me that have been hiding away that hadn't spoken about it that felt like me and before that I didn't know anyone in the industry with ADHD apart from um, John Allison that had been open about it at Channel 4 and he's actually spoken at one of my events anyway I, you know I thought this conversation needs to carry on we need to be more open about this and that's why I do the work I do yeah I think the more open we are about it is that, so I've been sharing, I shared my whole diagnosis journey on my, it was my personal Instagram account, but obviously there's a lot of people in the industry because of, you know, how, having been freelance and everything. And the amount of people that were coming to me in my DMs and saying, I really think I've got ADHD, like, you know, and then I think there's about, I think I'm on about five people off the back of me talking about my journey have since got their diagnosis also I think it's really important to point out that this comes from a place of privilege that the NHS waiting list for diagnosis is like years like and so I'm very privileged that I was able to afford to go private to get my diagnosis as are the certain people 
that have had it off the back of that. So I think that's really important to note that it's not accessible to, to a lot of people to get the diagnosis when they need it. Yeah, that there's a lot of people out there that don't have a diagnosis that are probably on antidepressants, they're suffering with anxiety and depression and they probably could have something underlying. And when they discover that, they can really kind of get in touch with what really drives them and what they need. And that's so important because I think a lot of mental health issues could boil down to this. You know, there's a lot of mental health platforms that talk about mental health, but they don't even talk about neurodiversity. And it's like they're definitely missing something because there's something there could be something that's like yeah. underneath that. And that's just they're just treating the symptoms and not the cause. That was very similar to my experience. So I've spent 10, 10 plus years um, treating and trying to understand why I was depressed um, and anxious. And, you know, back in university, that was like a, a major type. It's like it's upheaval, isn't it? It's your life changes. You become this adult. You get bills and everything else to handle. And I was suicidal twice um, and luckily came through it all. But like the whole time I was, I was literally down the path of like, uh, have I got bipolar? Because there's, there's quite a considerable amount of crossovers. So and I just had no help at any point, like no clarity, like every professional I went with. So I've always had a, a, a trust issue with like medical, with the medical industry. And yeah, you know, I got diagnosed and found out about ADHD through LinkedIn and, and, you know, Instagram That's incredible. videos. I love like, that. I love and, that. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that good to show that that the how open people are and how transparent they are is is changing? And like you all mentioned, there's been a great wealth of information being shared, especially through the pandemic, because I think that really opened people's eyes. Um, honestly, I this is just amazing, but I really, really want us to talk pos some bring some of that real positivity about what it means to be neurodivergent and how that makes us all brilliant creative so I'm going to go to you Anna if that's okay and ask and it's so difficult to separate you and your creativity and I understand that it's unbelievably nuanced but how do you think your ADHD makes you a better creative? I, I've, I've to begin with found this really hard because I was like when you initially asked me before we spoke about this I was like I don't know what's been good but I think it's just since the diagnosis you do that thing when you reflect and are like Oh, all these sad things happen but actually to get to where I am now I did a lot of good things because of having ADHD which I'm really happy about and when I first got diagnosed I sort of was like oh it's because um obviously the industry where everyone knows about like grind and hustle culture and I feel like when I was very first um flung into the industry that was really kind of celebrated um and I was very easily able to adapt into all of those things because of ADHD. Um, and I do genuinely think that for me, illustration has been whatever my hyperfixation is, is this. And that's like the main reason that I've ever been able to just come out of university and just go, this is it now and continue on that path. And obviously hyperfixations can be really hard because there's like this constant dialogue that's happening even when you're trying to rest and things but I do think that I was able to concentrate so much on something that I loved that I've managed to succeed in it um and in the way that because I got um combined type so it's I struggle with impulsivity but also um inattentive but I'm glad to have that mix of things because I think that there's a really gentle side of me but there's also a really like outgoing side that's really, I can communicate well, even though I don't think I can. And it's meant that I've said yes to a lot of things that typically 
illustrators wouldn't want to because they're quite shy and introverted. So like, I love my studio of illustrators, but we're all very shy and quiet people. But it's, it's meant that I've gone to exhibit work on my own and talk to industry creatives or go on panels and all of this stuff. And I kind of feel like if I didn't have that part of me, I wouldn't have been able to achieve as many things as I have. Um, Do you see it reflected in your reflected in your work at all? So how, you know, you get a brief. Do you think how you approach that brief or ideas you have, or do you think it impacts your how conceptually you think? I think it does, yeah. But I think it's more so not actually on paper. It's more because I've got this constant thinking happening which is really nice because it means you'll just walk around and then you'll see something and go, oh, a stone. And then you're like, oh, my God, a stone. Oh, my God, this and this and this and this. And I think that (laughs) there's rocks outside my house. That's why I did that. But I just, I don't know. Sometimes I think the connection to things for me might not be the same thought pattern as other people's. Um, And I was looking really briefly before coming onto this call because I remember in university one my lectures got really frustrated with the way that I saw colour um, and I don't know if it is linked but there'd been quite a lot of studies about how um, people with ADHD sometimes perceive colours differently like contrasts or hues and I remember my lecturer used to get really frustrated and said that I saw it incorrectly but the way that I use colour in my work is one of the main things that clients approach me for so yeah, things like that are really nice. Um, I think it's really interesting because there's there's stark ADHD for me is like completely hypocritical. It's like mm-hmm. all or yeah, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I can't do I can't do a simple task, but then I can do like this insanely complex task really well. Yeah, um, and so I think we've we've focused a lot on on the negatives, and I know we're trying to pull on the positives, but they're almost mirrored. So like mm-hmm. we're, all the bad stuff we talk about, about having to hide away a mask and whatever else, but we're also like extremely self-reflective and open people as well, or I am specifically. So like, they're, they're, but then in certain environments, like in a conversation with more than one person, I'm like a mouse, but with one person that I'm completely open and I tell them about everything. Um, and I think, one one challenge I I face with with with, with labeling my like the the business and the position in as like a, a neurodivergent agency is is trying to overcome this idea that oh actually you just oh that's that's nice of you it's like no this is like intrinsic value this is a strategic business decision because. I will have a competitive edge with a studio full of neurodivergent people because you know like diver like divergent thinking is the backbone of the creative industry like literally linking ideas and thoughts that have never been linked is how you get a good effective campaign like it's the same with a joke like it's connecting two similar um topics that you're aware of and familiar with in a way you've never felt it before and it fires a new synapse in your brain and you're like ooh, endorphins and dopamine so like that's what it's all about like we're empathetic so we understand things from the perspective of a of a client or from a customer you know we can put ourselves in their shoes and when we get off the call that we're constantly thinking about it we're like oh how would they experience this and and we just like we, we like meander through our thoughts we're very visual and like that's such an advantage in the creative industry to be able to do that um but also you know it comes with the with the trade-off then that being able to just sit down and 
and watch a film. I didn't realize that most people can probably sit and watch a film and just watch it and be like, oh, that was all right. I'm like, wow, look at the gradient on that shot. Like, oh, what a pan. This is a single shot. Like, I'm just, so like, I, until I'm sleeping, I'm thinking about everything. And I have to be, that's an, it's an amazing skill when it comes to creative, but it's also very dangerous if you don't, treat yourself well and give yourself space and time. And, and, and I think that's that the, the core root of the problem with not having the label is you're unaware of this. So you can quickly get into a cycle of like negative thoughts, things like that. Mind wandering and being curious is a, you know, is a, is a way of being creative and coming up with ideas, yeah. But also the double-edged sword of that, the, the negative of that is being distracted really easily and like looking around when you're someone, you know, when someone's, when you're meant to be concentrating, right? So, you know, you can't have one without the other. So that's, um, you know, you will, as we were saying, you know, these strengths, they do have their disadvantages. And I think like, it's important to recognize like, you know, the high empathy as well. Like when you get to like director level, like it's so valuable to have people Absolutely, like that. but the high empathy also gives you the sensitivities and the anxieties, yeah, it does, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> 100%. Got, yeah. But it's like, but I think it's so important for people, empathetic people to be in those higher positions so that it is fostering a more sort of like tolerant environment and a more open environment for more junior members to be, to not feel like they have to hide their struggles. And that is okay to say, if you're to hold your hand up and say, I'm having a really hard time at the moment. And, and that then, you know, gives the, your company opportunity to support you. And, you know, it's, I just think that's so valuable from a pastoral side of things, not just from a creativity side. That's exactly why people should hire neurodivergent leaders, basically, to lead companies and departments. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to just recognise that everyone here is in a position where they can talk really openly, you know, either because we're at leadership level or working for ourselves. Um, and there is, you know, when you're more junior in an agency and you're cutting your teeth and you're trying to fit in, you know, there are people out there really experiencing those barriers right now. So I spoke to a lovely, glorious junior designer who I'm trying to convince to come on an episode. And he said, if you hire people who think in a different way, you're going to make different work. And he really felt like he was just figuring out his voice in that, but understood that for all the struggles that he was having in that studio environment, that he was adding value that was different to different to other people. I can't, guys, I've got so many, I've got so many more questions, but we will have to wrap because we, uh, people will be like nodding off at our, uh, if we go beyond an hour. Um, so I just wanted to end um, and say, you know, thank you so much for being so candid. And I understand that it's not only a very personal topic, um, especially some of the things that are being shared here today, but it's very difficult to kind of separate oneself from this conversation um but i think it's going to be really valuable like i mentioned especially for those people who might be going through diagnosis or figuring out their place in the industry um and someone said earlier on i think it was i think it was lucy said inclusivity for neurodiverse people people makes things accessible for everyone and i think that that's just a lovely um a lovely note to end on so Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, team. How good was that? 
just the start of discussion for sure, because neurodiversity obviously is such a huge topic. And I've got some great stories in the DM. So let me know how else you'd like us to approach this. Just in terms of today's session, I ran it a little bit differently behind the scenes so that all the guests felt super comfortable and hopefully they felt that way and that's why they were able to be so candid. So just a massive thanks, maybe a little bit more thanks than usual because I know that they were all a little bit nervous. That's the end. Thank you so much. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave a review. Make sure you jump into our DMs if you want to be involved. Huge thanks to Jamie Alul and Toby McLaren for the music and to James from Be Heard for editing today's episode. Make sure you check out our YouTube channel if you prefer to watch your content. That's over there with closed captions. I'm Katie Cadwell. This is NDA. Catch ya.